we have a special guest here to share his story tonight, and I really appreciate him coming. Um, he was uh, ministering for a long time at Reality Church in L.A., and then he's been a school of ministry student for the last two years and uh, serving at Vision Church where Samuel, who shared last, the last uh, two weeks ago, uh, is serving. And so I want to welcome up Ty Nickelberry. So Ty, come on up. And I'll give it over to you. I want to say good morning because I'm here, right? But it's, it's in the evening. Good evening, you guys. How are you guys doing today? It's a pleasure to be able to share my testimony with you guys. And um, you, don't, you don't need that. I don't need that? No, you have a mic on you. <laughs> good, because I hate being like in one place anyway. I don't like anything in front of me. Well, this, is, this will work. Um, yeah, but good evening, guys. How are you guys doing today? You good? I really appreciate you guys' time of worship. I love being able to come and enter the courts with praise and worship with that sense of upbeat. I just love that, and I feed off of that. So it's a pleasure to be able to share what um, the Lord has done in my life. And so I guess my journey begins. Um, I would say just my um, church experience, my religious experience, my experience about Jesus, um, I, I grew up in a family that... My grandfather, he, he passed away. He passed away at 102 years old. He was, so he passed away in 1992. That's the year I actually graduated from high school. So he was born in 1890. Um, couldn't read, African-American, lived in the South. Um, you guys get the idea. But you know, couldn't read, couldn't write. Um, not all the math skills whatsoever, but he knew Jesus. And so my experience about my grandfather was someone who just knew Jesus and raised his kids up in the ways of the Lord. Um, but you know, after generations, um, kids tend to sway away. And so my mom, she had me right out of high school. I was, she was around 17. And so that was part of my background. And so church was something that we did on Sundays. Sometimes we wouldn't go. Um, it would be about Christmas, Easter. My, I remember times my mom would always, you know, especially in the African-American community, we would go to church and it was like, okay, we got to get the suit. So I'd be this little six-year-old kid with a three-piece suit going to church and have my, uh, my church shoes. That was, that was church. It was very religious um, in that sense. Uh, my experience also was, you know, um, when I saw the ladies in the front, they would wear these big hats and they would have what they call like this Holy Ghost episode where they would start falling all over the place. And I said, whatever's happening to them, I don't want to experience that. So it was a sense of like fear um, as far as church is concerned. But anyway, um, because my mom had me early and had me in Arkansas, she was going to marry my father. But unfortunately, um, after a series of conversations through my uncle and, and my aunt, they thought it would be better for her to come to California. And so my mom basically left, um, spurred at a moment, had me in California, lost contact with my dad. So I grew up without my dad. And I didn't meet my dad until maybe five years ago. And I'm going to share, share that. I share that because later on you can start to understand where a lot of things um, stem from, like insecurities and some other things, because I wasn't raised up with that godly figure. And so anyway, 
I, I mean, going to church, I really didn't know a whole lot about who Jesus was. I couldn't discern Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, if anyone asked me if I was Christian, I was like, yeah, I'm Baptist. You know, even when I went to the military, I had these dog tags and it said Baptist on it. I was considered a Baptist. Um, but I didn't know what that meant. And so, graduated from high school, not knowing direction, decided I want to go to the military. Very militant, always rebellious against authority. Got in trouble a few times, almost got kicked out, but didn't. Made my way through. Um, decided I want to go to college. Don't finish that. And so there's a pattern of always starting something and never finishing. And so um, through a series of just not knowing what to do, being insecure, wanting to find my validity, um, my validation in something, um, I was really big on working out in health and fitness. And eventually, I became um, a stripper. And so uh, the lifestyle that goes along with that is very debaucherous. Um, I used to live in Las Vegas. Um, I was really in health and fitness. I wasn't really big into drugs, but I had a period of um, really kind of, I had about a good six, month year, six months to about a year of going into like a really dark place of just kind of doing ecstasy. Like the first time I ever did a drug was ecstasy and I did like five or three pills on one night and I just had a period of I was just doing this thing every day. But things kind of came to a head when I was actually in a club when I was in Las Vegas and I, I don't think, I, I think I did about five pills and I was drinking. I don't even remember being in a club. I just remember leaving and I remember driving home and I was doing about 100 miles an hour in about a, on an off-ramp, which you know is about 15 miles an hour I should be going. And um, I lost control of my car. I don't know why, but yeah, I lost control of my car in this 15-minute, 15-mile-an-hour off-ramp. And I must have did about a 720-degree spin. And I spin through the dirt, and I hit a wall head-on. But I didn't have a scratch on me. And just to show you how depraved I was, I was upset. But I still was, I was going to an after-hour party, so I decided I still want to go to this after-hour party. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I think the only injury I had was from hitting a Mack truck like five times as hard as I could because I was upset because I wrecked my car. But didn't realize that, wow, my life is spirit, or I could have killed somebody. It could have been a number of things that could have happened at that particular time. And I mean, nothing happened at that particular time. And later on, um, I don't know, by God's grace, I, I don't know, I just stopped. And eventually I became a personal trainer. Um, eventually I had a, a regular girlfriend and she won a singing contest on a radio station and she decides she wants to move to California. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's move to California. I want to move back, I want to become an actor. So I moved back before she does, out of sight, out of mind. And um, I'm working as a personal trainer um, here in Irvine. But I end up staying with my mom's friend who was a deacon in a church. And um, now keep in mind, this is about three years later. I, ha I haven't been falling into drugs or anything like that. But I'm living with, this, with, with my mom's friend who's a deacon in the church. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I felt like I just started to go backwards. I started smoking pot again. I started doing things that I did, I shouldn't, I did not want to do, but I just kept doing it. Um, but I always saw this guy. He never preached to me. He never said, oh, you need to turn or burn. Now, he never did any of that. He just, had, he lived a life that it just seemed very joyful. And so I would ask him questions, and I would say, hey, um, so 
wait, what's up with this whole Jesus thing? I think that's exactly how I asked him, too. I was like, what's up with this whole Jesus thing? And he doesn't preach to me, right? He gives me a Bible, and he gives me a book. And this book, it would navigate me through certain passages of Scripture, and and it encouraged me to memorize these passages of Scripture. Now, initially, I did not read this book, and eventually he would ask me. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But eventually, I started reading it for whatever reason. I was hooked on it. And I remember passages like John 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me can't do anything. And I, I don't know, I think I started going through the book of Romans, you know, for the wages of sin is death. Like, what is sin? And I started to realize that I had lived a life that was an offense to God. And eventually, um, I'm reading this book, and it leads me to the sinner's prayer. Now, I am in my room by myself, and, but I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I had offended God, and I started um, saying this prayer. And at this particular time, I felt, I literally felt the Spirit of God hit me. And I don't remember weeping as much as I wept because I felt cleansed from every sin that I have ever committed. All of the, the debaucherous lifestyle, the womanizing, okay, the drugs, everything that I did, God had literally cleansed me from it. And like most people, when they're first believers, it's like, I just want to tell everybody about Jesus. So there's this excitement about Jesus, and I'm telling people everywhere. People are like, dude, I remember going back to Vegas and talking to old friends and talking to them about the birds in the air. And it's like, dude, that's a bird. Are you crazy? And and it was just really um, something that the Spirit of God was really kind of doing to me. But eventually, um, you know, I, I went... To, I was desiring to pursue acting, and I was desiring to do all of these different things, but eventually the Lord, I don't know for whatever reason he, reason, he put it on my heart that I was supposed to do ministry or vocational ministry. And I felt like the Holy Spirit put it on my mind that my aunt, when I was little, said, when he grows up, he's going to be a preacher. And um, I, I don't know. I never thought about that my whole life. And I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, did you ever remember my aunt ever saying anything about me becoming a preacher? She's like, yeah, she used to say that. I was about five years old. And eventually, I just pretty much stopped everything that I was doing. I just kind of left everything. And I said, okay, God, if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to open doors for me. And immediately, the, door, the Lord started to open doors for me. This was maybe 10 years ago or so. About Yeah, I would say about 10 years ago. And I, had, I became an intern for a church. Um, I started growing more in the word, but the church that I was going, I I felt like it was more of a seeker friendly. What I mean by seeker friendly, it didn't really acknowledge sin. It was more about prosperity, what God's going to do for you, not not, I'm going to die to my own selfish ambitions and wanting to live for the Lord. It was more about what is God going to do for me? Lord, bless me so I can become an actor. Lord, bless me so I can get the bigger house. You get the picture, right? Um, But as I started having a, a better understanding that I needed to die to my will and say, God, your will be done. Um, eventually, the Lord moved me on. And that's when I started going to a Calvary chapel um, with, by the pastor by the name of Raul Reese. And um, so I left my internship. I ended up going here. And they were going to do this crusade in Las Vegas. And I was like, hey, I'm not working right now. Can I help out with this crusade? And eventually, they allowed me to go stay in this apartment in Vegas. And I'm doing street witnessing. I remember old people who used to witness to me 
you know, they ran into me. and I'm like, hey, I'm a Christian now. They're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Jesus took a hold of me. And people were like, well, like, just blown away. And um, again, just through a series of things, the Lord just started doing just this amazing work. And eventually, um, the Lord opened a series of doors where I ended up at Reality LA. This was about maybe eight, nine years ago. And the Lord has allowed me to be part of um, a ministry as far as leading prayer ministry. The Lord has given me opportunity to go to Haiti four times to lead mission trips. A lot of people think I'm Haiti when I go there, so they get mad when I don't speak Creole, which is kind of funny. I don't know. Do I look like I'm Haitian? Um, that was a joke. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so they got mad at me because I didn't speak Creole. I was like, well, I'm sorry, man. I'm American. They're like, no, you're not American. Look at your skin. I was like, no, really, I am. Um, so, but it was really cool, and, and but I, what I also want to share with you guys is just the idea of God saving us for eternity, yes, but there's a sense of where the Lord starts to heal you from the inside out. And like I was sharing with you guys earlier, I came, I met my dad for the first time about five, six years ago. And just through a series of events, my mom happened to be driving my sister as she was going to Atlanta, ran into my aunt, and uh, my aunt gave my mom the number. I called my aunt, my aunt said, well, call your dad. And I must have called him. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning his time because he lives in Illinois. And I remember calling him, and he's like, hello, because I think I woke him up. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this is Tyrone, Ty. Um, and he's like, who, what? And he's like, this is Tyrone, your son. Your, my mom's name is Silver, Silver's son. And Danny kind of clicked, and he's like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, let me call you back later. And he hung the phone up. And at this time, I am broken, and I'm really going to the Lord. And I'm like, God, I, I, because it was just a lot of inner turmoil. If you, if you knew me, there were times of just a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of just pent-up things in me because of a lack of forgiveness that I had towards my dad. And it was funny because he, he called me back maybe a couple minutes later, and we actually had a conversation. And the conversation um, basically came to a head, say, hey, I want to meet you. So I decided to go to, to Illinois. He lived in Peoria, Illinois. And so I go, and I get to meet people on my dad's side who I never uh, met before. And I met my grandfather from my dad's side, who's 91 years old at the time. And he's driving me around. And the funny thing is, I, I came to find out that my great, great, or my great grandfather was a preacher. And he had a church that was there to this day. And I really thought that that was funny. I was like, wow. <laughs> and, um, but I remember the first time I met my dad. And I go to my uncle's house to meet him. And I'm driving from Illinois to, or excuse me, from Arkansas to Illinois to go meet him. And um, he wakes me up maybe around 7 o'clock in the morning, and the first thing my dad says, oh, I think I have another one in Philadelphia. I never met him either. How do you feel when he says that? And, you know, my heart just drops, but I'm not going to show it because I'm strong, right? But I walk to the bathroom, and I just pray, and I'm like, Lord, I don't even want to deal with this. And I just remember the Lord saying, Ty, I want you to love him. I want you to love him. And, all right, 
don't bring up all of the whys and why weren't you there, just, just love him. And so I, I came back and it was funny because we actually had a pretty good time when we talked and prayed together and read the Bible together with my dad. And it's just, this, was, this was just really bizarre to me. But over, you know, over a couple years of knowing him and having conversations over the phone and the disappointments of, oh, Ty, I'll call you back and not returning my phone calls. And the Lord said, now I want you to talk to him about it. And having to call my dad out on, um, it's not okay. It hurts when you do that. Um, and also, you never presented um, information as far as like why you weren't trying to, uh, why you didn't try to get in contact with me and so forth. And so, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And he just hung the phone up on me. And so trying to call him back several times and not hearing a phone call, I just felt like the Lord's like, I'm going to deal with it and I'll just let it go. And I'm saying that because, it's, yes, there's still pain and there's still hurt. But there was a time when I was like, I don't care if my dad is dead. So now it's, Lord, bless him, forgive him. Um, yeah, God willing, and one day if I ever get married, I will love for my dad to be able to come back. I don't feel like I have or hold the same unforgiveness towards him that I once did. And I say that because all of the sin and the debauchery and the lifestyle that I lived and how much God has forgiven me, how much Jesus has forgiven me, because I'm forgiven, I can forgive. And because of that, the Lord, he starts to restore and he heals parts of our heart that it's absolutely amazing. And so I am thankful today. And I'm just thankful that I'm able to share with you guys today. God bless. You know, I, I love having people share their story because um, often the question is asked, God was doing, Jesus was doing all these miracles in the Bible. Why isn't he doing it today? And I'll tell you right now, he is. Every person who stood up on this stage sharing how God has raised them from dead, from the dead to life, is, is an absolute miracle of God. We're, we're a new creation in Christ. And when you see the transformed lives, you can see the power of of Christ, that same power that he called Lazarus out of the tomb, the same power that he told the blind man to open his eyes with, the same power that he heals the leper, which we'll be talking about tonight, is that power that we see in these people that are sharing. So this service is all about people meeting Christ and letting Christ transform them. So I really encourage you, and I want to continue to encourage you, bring people who aren't familiar with Christ to get to know Christ um, that they can see the power of, of, of what God does in our lives. So with that said, I'm going to pray. And then tonight we're going to do a little something different because we're covering a larger chunk of Scripture. We're going to read it in portions and uh, get into the sermon. So let's go ahead and uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Ty and God, the wonderful story, the work that you've done in his life, Lord. And it's hard when some of these share their testimony. You can't even imagine because they're such a new creation, Lord, and it's amazing to see what you've done in their lives. We do ask for your blessing to be upon Ty. And Lord, now we just ask for you to open up your word to us. Give us understanding, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what you want to share with us, Lord. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we get, oh, I didn't even have to ask. <laughs> I was about to ask for the lights. Um, you know, this week is Thanksgiving week, and... Um, 
I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm prepared. Of course, I got to send my wife out shopping for the food. She's, uh, by the way, I'm big on cooking. I, I cook the turkey every year, and I'm, I, I, I'm a self-proclaimed master of cooking turkey. Sometimes it works. Sometimes not so much. One year we had a bad year. But um, B- Butterball uh, actually has a hotline where you can call in. So if you're concerned about cooking your turkey, you just call them. That's all you do. You co- call them, and it's cooked. Not really, but... But they have some funny, funny things that have, uh, people have called in. There was a lady from Colorado who called in about how to thaw her frozen butter ball. She proudly shared the fact that her turkey was stored in a snowbank outside. It had snowed the night before, and then it dawned on her that she didn't have a clue which snowbank her turkey was in. At that point, the conversation was really over because she was now on a mission to go find her turkey. So, <laughs> you know, I've thought about that, and I've been in cabins before where we stored food outside, and I just can imagine if the snow just, oh, turkey's gone. Um, one woman who was cooking Thanksgiving dinner for the first time, she was uh, newly, newly married and excited to cook the turkey, she called in because she was having a problem. She had thawed the turkey properly, she started to rinse it, but for some reason the suds wouldn't quit coming out of it. She used soap to rinse the turkey with, <laughs> so suds just kept coming out. Another gentleman called Butterball and said, he asked the operator, uh, well, he explained to the operator that he used a chainsaw to cut his turkey in half and was concerned that maybe the oil from the chainsaw chain would affect the flavor in the turkey. You better believe it will. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. And then a, a disappointed woman uh, was wondering why her turkey had no breast meat. She was ca- actually calling to complain to Butterball that her turkey came with no breast meat. After the conversation continued on, she realized the turkey was actually upside down, and she found the breast meat. There was another call. Uh, tur- Butterball offers a, a special service where you can actually have them located a, a specific size turkey for you. So if, if you need a a 20-pound turkey, you can call them, I need a 20-pound, and they'll tell you what store and where to find it. So this woman called in asking for a 36-pound turkey. The, 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 uh, the operator said to her, ma'am, that's not a turkey, that's an ostrich. <laughs> and she's like, well, where can I find one? And, and he said, well, may I suggest maybe cooking two turkeys? Uh, <laughs> so... Trust me, if you find a 36-pound turkey in, in the market, it is not a turkey, at least not a natural turkey. And then uh, finally, a woman in her 70s called. Uh, she was cooking Thanksgiving dinner for the first time, and she called for help because, and I quote, her mother said she was tired of cooking, and it was time her daughter now learned how to pre- prepare the Thanksgiving meal. 70 years old, and now it was time for her to learn how to prepare, being the daughter. Her mom was finally tired of cooking. So, how old was the mom? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I know we're gearing up for Thanksgiving, and if you need help, just call me. Just call me. I'll tell you how to cook your turkey. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, as, as we get ready to read the scriptures, but I want to I just encourage you with something. Uh, of course, most of us know that officially, uh, Thanksgiving became a federal holiday during the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln commission, set apart a day for Thanksgiving and prayer. And I think that's a really important idea for us to remember to give thanks to God. Because when we do that, when we start to sit down and think about what we can thank God for, 
it puts life in perspective. We see how God sustains us, provides for us, carries us through. Often we can only see the obstacle in front of us and we can't see anything else around it. And, uh, and I think a day of thanksgiving, you know, the Bible tells us to be continually giving thanks to God. So, um, I, I, Lord willing, you'll have a blessed thanksgiving with your family. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. We're continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we'll get started with Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, the first thing I want to I draw your attention here is that we see in Jesus that he's come to confront Satan and strip him of his power. Remember, part of Mark's gospel, the, the whole purpose of Mark's, Mark's gospel as we're seeing it is He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's announcing the kingdom of God. And with the coming of the kingdom of God, there is a call to wage war upon the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus will do that. And we see this confrontation happen in the synagogue. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the synagogue. Now, Capernaum becomes Jesus' home base for the most part. It's uh, in the Gospel of Mark, it refers to, and Jesus was back at home being Capernaum. And that's where Peter's house was. In fact, they believe they found Peter's house, house in an archaeological dig. They're, I mean, they're, they're not for sure it's Peter's house, but you can go there and you can visit it. And uh, they, they, they found a synagogue that's built on top of the synagogue that uh, Jesus would have been, been in at this moment, uh, because now that one's brought down. They found inscriptions to the sons of Zebedee, uh, John and James, uh, John and James grands, grandchildren. They're, they're a part on these, this uh, synagogue inscription. So this place is all real, and so are these events that happen here. Now, the synagogue was something that they would go to on Saturdays. We don't really have a clue about much about where the synagogues came from because prior to the captivity, prior to the Jews being taken into captivity, they didn't really have synagogues. And when they come back from captivity, we believe the synagogues were established. And it was a place for them to learn the, word, the, the laws of God. They would, they would open up in prayer on the Sabbath with the Shema. The Shema is Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. The, uh, these things I declare to you, you shall write them on, on your hearts. Um, 
Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloheha. And it goes on. But I mean, you can, you can imagine hearing that in the morning when everybody's rising, they're praying and they're, they're saying the Shema. And of course, they, they add the blessings into it also. And so, and then they would teach. They would expound on the law. And they would teach the law. And one of the things that set apart Christ's teaching is was he taught with authority, not like the scribes. I've told you this before, but the scribes would set fences around the Scripture. They would say, well, this is what Moses said, so let's set a fence around it out here, and we'll put this burden on everybody so they don't even get close to breaking the law of Moses. And then they would quote other people. So-and-so says this. Rabbi so-and-so says this. And, you know, it's up to you to figure it out. But Jesus comes on the scene teaching with authority. Amazing, though, how we see in this text that this man with an unclean spirit cried out. He cried out. He interrupted the whole service, the synagogue, crying out. Well, that would definitely draw your attention to it. Now, by the way, Capernaum is somewhere around 1,500 people, the archaeologists think. The population was somewhere around 1,500 people. So the synagogue wouldn't have been that large. But imagine hearing this man cry out, and the things that he says... All of a sudden, he's saying, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You're kind of sitting there hearing this going, what's going on with that dude? You know, as he's making this big ruckus, and he says, have you come to destroy us? Okay, that's a little weird. That's, that's kind of weird. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But what's even more astounding is as they witness Jesus rebuking him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Just imagine for a moment, you're there on that day, worshiping God, hearing the prayers, the Scripture, and then this interaction happening. And as he, Jesus commands the Spirit to come out of him, he begins to convulse and cry out, and the Spirit leaves. And they're all sitting around going, whoa, whoa. He's even got power over these demonic spirits. Now, to give you an understanding here, demonic spirits, they, they understood demonic spirits. They understood what they looked like. They even would have people who, would, we can read it from the apocryphal books, the book of Tobit. It talks about how to deal with the demonic spirit. Now, again, we, we don't believe that the apocryphal books are part of the canon of Scripture, but we can get some information about the life of, of the Jews and, and some of their history. And in the book of Tobit, it talks about Tobit gets these fish guts and he lights them on fire and the burning smell, the the nasty smell of the fish guts drives the demon out. They had spells and incantations and all sorts of things to deal with demonic spirits. But this man, this man is so different. This man commands and it happens. The power of Jesus Christ to command. Call out the spirit. Rebuke it. Silence it. And the word for silence is muzzle it. Jesus muzzled that spirit and called it out of the man. You better believe word is going to spread about this Jesus. Now, this definitely leaves us with some questions about demonic, uh, demon possession. Or, and I think really put the word possession is kind of a, a, a poor choice of words. I, I, I think there's more about demonic influence and different levels of influence. 
because the scriptures actually don't ever use the word possession in, in the Greek. It's, it's more with spirit. He was with an unclean spirit. And it calls it out. It, it, this man was with an unclean spirit. And I think that there is a level of influence in there. We do see certain people that are almost out of control. We see the demoniac in the garrisons, which we'll get to later on, where he's in the tombs and he's hurting himself and cutting himself and, and um, all, he's just out of his mind and they've chained him up. We, we see a young boy who throws himself into the fire and then throws himself into the water. We see that. And by the way, the Bible knows the difference between someone who is demon-influenced versus someone who is sick. Because there's a clear difference. The Bible will even distinguish someone who's an epileptic versus someone who's under the influence of a demon. And I think that we have to realize that it is Jesus Christ and His power, Him waging war against the demons, announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. I am no longer going to allow Satan's presence and authority. There was finally a hope come with Jesus Christ and the ushering in of his kingdom. So who can be demon-possessed or demon-influenced? Well, Paul tells us something interesting. He says for, in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think uh, in today's culture, we're too quick to dismiss everything as something physical, uh, a physical ailment or physical sickness. And, and I, you, don't, you don't want to say that everything is demon, demon influence or anything like that. But at the same time, we should be wise recognizing that the powers we are fighting against in the kingdom of God is principalities, uh, demonic legions, not just the physical. There is a spiritual battle going on, and we need to recognize that and pray in the authority of Jesus Christ against those things. Recognizing spirits that, that, that um, demonic spirits that get a foothold in people's lives. Now, I don't believe that a, a Christian can be possessed like the man in the garrisons because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit resides in us. Uh, a, a demon can't come inside and take over us like that. The Bible gives us assurance of that. In fact, the Bible, t John tells us that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So we, we don't need to fear that. But I do think that we can open up our lives to sin that we can continue in an ongoing sin, giving Satan a foothold into our lives, allowing ourselves to be influenced, grieving the Holy Spirit, and being influenced by demonic presences. I, I believe that can happen. So how do we distinguish between demonic presence versus, versus uh, just someone who's sick? Well, first of all, I think we need to be wise. We need to be prayerful. We need to ask sometimes. When people are, are struggling with, with things, be it depression, be it um, self-mutilation, whatever it is, we, we should ask them, could this be a demonic influence? You, you say, what? Well, you don't know. But you know what? They might even be wondering it, and they're not sure. And, and as you, when, sometimes when you ask that question, they'll say, well, I'm doing this, and I'm, I've been involved in this, and okay, let's pray. Let's pray about that. 
Sometimes it could be, no, I don't think this is a demonic influence. I, I'm just sick and hurting, and okay, well, let's deal with that. But I, I think we need to be wise. We need to be prayerful. We need to be willing to ask and recognize that our struggle is not just against flesh and blood. We should be wise about that. We should also recognize that, that often in Scriptures, what we see with demon possession is bizarre and violent reactions. I, I don't, you know, we don't see it as much here in the United States, but I think the more our culture turns away from Christ, I think the more we'll see it. The more we'll see demonic influence. And, and, and we see that all through Scripture. There are times when it would, it would rise, and of course with the coming of Christ, the Christ's kingdom has been advancing. But remember Jesus gave that statement about a house when, when once it's all cleaned up and the Spirit has been pushed away, if you're not careful to fill it up, seven more will come in. And uh, I think we, we should be wise about that. And I know that's talking about a person, but I think we, we should, could even apply it within our own culture that our culture was cleaned up. It was, it was a culture based in Christian values, a culture that, that desired after God. Now, not everybody was a Christian, but now we're starting to see the absence of that Christian worldview. We're starting to see what's happening post-Christian culture. And, and we should be wise about it. We should be prayerful. But with demons, we see bizarre, violent reactions in the gospel. We see self-harm and self-mutilation off, often happening with demon possession or demon influence. And we, we should be wise about those things. If we see that, recognize that you as, if you're dealing with somebody who is self-mutilating or trying to harm themselves or cutting themselves, just start praying. Start praying for them. God set them free. Because I do believe that those are, those are demonic influences. I, I'll never forget um, a young man in our, in our youth group I believe he was heavily influenced by a demonic presence. Um, he, he was listening to all sorts of terrible music. I mean, really satanic music. And he was so down on himself. He was angry. He was angry at the world. He was just a different kind of guy. And I remember confronting him on the issue. And he was hurt that I confronted him. He was, I'm sure he went through a, a bunch of turmoil. And Lord willing, maybe someday he'll share his testimony. But... But he, by his parents stepping in, the church stepping in, he started to give up that stuff, and he transformed. And he's a totally different guy today. I believe there was a demonic influence there. And, and it, was, it was definitely changing him and his demeanor. So we don't, we don't want to just write everything off saying, oh, you know, he's just a this teenage angst. We, I, I think kids have spiritual battles Teenagers have spiritual battles. Adults have spiritual battles. And we need to be, be aware of those things. So be prayerful. But recognize this. Here's the, what the main point of all this, this passage is. The kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God is much more powerful than any demonic influence or presence. The kingdom of God conquers those things. And eventually, in the end, we'll see Satan completely bound. And eventually then... We'll see him thrown into the cast in the lake of fire. Let's, let's move on in the scriptures here to the next part of the passage. <clears throat> verse 29. Oh, let me, verse 28 says, And once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So everybody saw this. They started talking. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. 
And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, de- uh, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Well, this passage is certainly interesting because it it gives us an idea of what Jesus' purpose is. Now, he left the synagogue. He went home. Simon and Andrew, Simon Peter, say, hey, my my mother-in-law is sick. And, you know, Simon Peter is a a saint. He really loves his mother-in-law. And he he says, Jesus, come heal my mother-in-law. I would do it for you, Sandy. I would bring Jesus to heal you. (laughs) So... uh, but he, he brings her in, and notice what happens. This happens right after the synagogue. I, I, now, you've got to imagine being James and John and Peter and Andrew, and they'd seen Jesus do some miracles, but they're like, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> that was just awesome what just happened in the synagogue. Hey, my mom's got a fever. Can, can you help her? And all we know is she was sick. She was out of commission. Jesus goes up there, and, and in fact, it's interesting that this part of the text doesn't actually use Jesus' name. It just says he. It uses a pronoun. And, and it says, and he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. He just took her by the hand. Okay, come on. Let's get up. You know? If I did that, I'd be like, come on, walk it off. Let's go. But, <laughs> and it wouldn't work. <laughs> but, but he just lifted her up. She was good. Healed instantly. There was no special incantation, no special prayer, no special incense, no special potion, not a special medicine to go make. There was no walking on your knees to a certain place. There was, there was no self-mortification. It was just simply Jesus helping her up. That's all Jesus had to do. Help her up. And she was ready to go. He just helped her up. And you know what? I believe Jesus does that with each one of us. He meets us where we're at. And he lifts us up from our sicknesses if we let him. If we just look to him for healing. That's all we need to do. It's interesting too. She, she gets up. Notice what she does. She lingers on around the house. She says, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still recovering. No, it says, and she began to serve them. She began to minister I think this is a good lesson for us in the church. When are we ready to minister? From the moment we meet Jesus. We're ready to minister. Yeah, you may not have your theology all squared away. I don't even think I have mine all squared away. You may not have it all right. You may not know all the Bible, but you're ready to minister. You're one of his saints. You're in his kingdom, ready to serve in his church. Right from the moment that he met you and healed you, you're ready to go. You're ready to serve. That's really part of the call of being a Christian is to die die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Ready to minister, be good stewards in His kingdom. 
And that's what he does. Then, then it says at evening, so the Sabbath is over, and all of a sudden the crowds start coming. They didn't want to carry in their sick. They were afraid to break the Sabbath by doing a work. And so as soon as evening comes and the Sabbath is over, man, there's a parade coming to, to Simon and Andrew's house, and they're all bringing their sick to the door, and Jesus is just healing people. He's, and those who are oppressed by demons, he's calling out the demons. And notice that it says that he does not permit, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Uh, you're going to see something in the Gospel of Mark that's kind of neat. It's called the Messianic Secret. And Mark kind of keeps Jesus' identity a secret through a lot of his gospel. He, he shows that Jesus was kind of like, not yet. My time has not yet come. And we, we see a climax, a little climax, when, when Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, who do the crowds say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And they said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's one of the climax scenes. And, of course, ultimately it ends with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, him owning uh, and declaring publicly that he is Messiah. But up until that point, we're going to see that Jesus kind of keeps it a secret who he is. And why does he keep it a secret? Well, I think it's answered in the very next passage when it said that um, he rose early in the morning, he went out to pray, went out to a desolate place to pray, and that... The, they come looking for him, and, and the, the disciples kind of say, hey, come on, what are you doing? Everyone's looking for you. Like, like you know, there's crowds to heal over there. And Jesus says, let's go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That is why I came out. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. That's the message. Believe in the gospel. Repent and be baptized. That is why Jesus came out. Here we see lots of people being healed. But we see them attracted to a miracle worker and not attracted necessarily to the kingdom of God. Not repenting, but more, whoa, this guy can fix it. Let's go to him and get fixed and get back into our lives. What a tragedy. If you come and you meet Jesus Christ and you get healed, and then you go back into your old lifestyle. Because, sure, maybe Jesus helped you straighten up for a little bit, or, or you can say, Jesus helped me get off drugs, but I've gone back into my old lifestyle. No, Jesus didn't come just to do miracles for people. The miracles were part of the proof that he was who he said he was. He came so that you and I would know the gospel. He was very missional. He was on a mission to go to that cross, pay the price for you and me, die in our place, take our sins upon himself so that you and I could be right with God. That's why Jesus came to the cross. Let me just go on a little farther in verse 40. Chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
But he went out and began to talk freely about it and, it spread to the, and, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this next story, Mark moves from, we have the confrontation with Satan. We have healing of the sick. And now we move into this leprous man. Jesus came that he could make the unclean clean again. Let me just give you an illustration today of what a leprous man was in the society of the Jews. A leprous man in in Jewish culture at this time, I think the equivalent can be seen in child molesters today. Now, the difference is they've chosen to do a sinful act, but as far as the way we receive them, I think we can see how lepers were received. Think about it for a minute. Uh, If someone's molested a child, I can think of no more unclean, untouchable person in society than someone who's molested a child. You have to register everywhere you go so that everybody can know you've done this horrific act. You, you, you can't live in certain places within certain boundaries of, of schools. You, you, you can't come and fellowship in a church like this. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, we have children here. You, 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 you can't just integrate like everybody else because of what you've done. Well, that was a leprous person. They, everywhere they went, they had to let their hair grow long. And by the way, leprous can mean different skin diseases from the Levitical law. But, it, but it, we're talking about a chronic skin disease. And of course, there was ultimately leprosy that would cause parts and things to fall off. But these people would have to let their hair grow long, be unkept. They would have to cover their upper lip so that they weren't seen. And everywhere they went, they'd have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And announcing everywhere they went that they could not fit in with society, they were unclean. What about going to synagogue? Well, they could go to synagogue as long as the synagogue had a curtain separating them from everybody else. So that everybody else wouldn't be made unclean in the process. Well, what's the big deal about unclean? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is about unclean. Unclean separates you from the community, and it separates you from God. That's what uncleanliness did in the Scriptures. But here we see Jesus saying, be clean. He commands it. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left this man, and he was made clean. In a little moment interaction with Jesus, coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, if you will it, I could be clean. I will it. Be clean. In a moment, this man's life is changed. Overnight, he is a different person. Not even overnight, just in a moment, it's a different person. He's no longer announcing how unclean he is. He's no longer separated from the community, but he's integrated in. He's brought in. And I think this is a wonderful picture of what Christ does with us. We are unclean in our sin. We are, the Bible says, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Our sin earns us death and separation from God, but when we come to Christ, he says, be clean. And there is nothing There is nothing in life that will make you feel more clean than that moment of coming to the cross and saying, Lord, I need you in my life. 
I need your forgiveness. I, I accept what you've done for me on that cross. And when we have that moment with Jesus Christ, internally, spiritually, we become clean. We become right with God, and we're welcomed into the community of believers like, uh, uh, like never before. We find a fellowship with believers like we never had before because we've been made clean. And, of course, this man, he went out and began to talk freely. And, you know, when Jesus commands you not to do something, you probably shouldn't do it. But at the same time, I, I don't really blame this man. I would probably screw this up. I, in fact, I guarantee I would screw this up. <laughs> so Jesus would heal me, and I'd say, don't go tell anybody. Okay, guess what, guys? I can't hold on to information like that. Uh, like, when we found out what we were having each time we had a baby, um, we, were, we talked about, like, should we do the reveal thing or whatever? Like, no way, I'm calling people. <laughs> you know, guess what we're having a girl? Guess what we're having a girl? Guess what we're having another girl? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I know I would screw this up. And you know, honestly, I don't blame this man for being so excited about being made clean. I understand that he wasn't supposed to do it. But ultimately, now when we're made clean by Christ, we're told, go tell everyone. Go let everybody know Jesus has made you clean. And I know for me, in my life, when Jesus did that for me, I couldn't wait to tell her. I was calling everybody, and they were like, Dave's become a Jesus freak. <laughs> it's just happened. And uh, what happened to Dave? <laughs> and I was just so excited about what Christ had done in my life, I couldn't wait to tell people. And I still love to tell people. And I hope you have that same fervency, that same excitement. And if you haven't met Christ, if you haven't been made clean like you could, well, that invitation is open to you tonight. All you need to do is call out to Jesus. Just ask him, Lord, make me clean. Lord, I've been struggling with a sin. I've been allowing that influence in my life. Make me clean. Lord, heal me. That's what I need. That's all you got to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your awesome plan of redemption. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were faithful to your mission, God. Never swain faithfully going to that cross for us on our behalf that we could be made clean by your blood. I pray if there's anyone here in this room tonight that they, and they need to be made clean, Lord, that they would just cry out to you. Lord Jesus, save me. Make me clean. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Give me the strength. Give me your Holy Spirit so I'll have the strength to repent from my sin and not touch it. Lord, you are a faithful God to us, and we thank you for your love. Bless our worship now as we just go before you. In Jesus' name, amen.